Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Thanks for joining me today. I've got a really interesting show. I've got Jeff Golden, and he has written a book, Reclaiming the Sacred, Healing Our Relationships with Ourselves and the World. And he's won many awards, including the Natalis Book Awards Grand Prize. I love that title because we all do have a relationship with the world. And sometimes we don't see past the one we have with ourselves. Jeff has been teaching and writing about these topics for over 30 years, most recently at Vassar College. Jeff spent 12 years researching this book. He was a Fulbright Scholar in in Sustainable Development and a recipient of the State Department's Millennial International Volunteer Award. He's a prison reform and animal rights activist and has headed several nonprofits promoting social justice, sustainability, and international education. A native of Idaho, he wandered away from home and he now resides in the Moconeytuck Valley in New York with his children, the river, and the stars. Jeff, thanks for being with me today. Lee, it is such a pleasure to be here with you. You have such a warm and friendly presence. It is such a delight to get to listen to you, but now to get to actually sit down and talk with you, it's really an honor and a pleasure. Well, thank you. And oh my gosh, we have lots to talk about. You spent 12 years researching this book. There must be some messages in this book that are really sacred to you. That's true. And maybe even just starting with that word sacred, people have different relationships with that. And for some people, it has just a very specific religious kind of connotation. And I'm not talking about any particular religious tradition or anything like that. For me, sacred, that word is about what is of the utmost importance, sort of timeless and beyond everything else. And what I mean by sacred in this case is, is first and foremost, you and everyone out there listening and your lives and this world, this stunning, amazing world that we live in and stunning, amazing you. And I think that, and this is both my experience and it is again, what 12 years of research really uncovered is that a lot of us go through our lives it's as if we were sitting on a mountaintop or at the edge of the ocean beneath a wide swath of stars in the sky and we have these bags over our heads and we do the best we can to be as happy and successful and purposeful as we can but it's all within the context of this bag And if there are ways that we can start to lift that up and look around and see, there's just so much that's right there, just inherent to us and this world that's waiting for us. And we can talk more about what some of those things are that create that blockage and get us just so tunnel visioned that we can lose sight of how amazing we and and this world are. But I think in, in a sense, that's the heart of what this book is about is how do we take those bags off our heads so that we can live in just the natural delight and wonder and and love and belonging that are inherent to us for the the sake of ourselves and the sake of the people around us and and the planet because there are a lot of things that we end up doing to ourselves and and each other and the environment when we are not feeling 
satisfied or met in our lives. And we turn to, to many other things, a lot of which you talk about on your show, including different kinds of addictions. But that, I think, is, is the heart of what that book is about. And I'm excited to talk about with you today. Well, you know, it's interesting because at the Brain Performance Center, so many people will come in. I'll say, do you ever feel like you're stuck? And at, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we do get stuck. We get stuck yeah. up. We get stuck in the expectations that we have of ourselves, the expectations that we think others have of us as far as, you know, when we look at accomplishments, so many times it's about, well, I have to make this much money and, and my kids have got to go to this school. And mm-hmm. and I see the struggle and I, it's almost like quit beating yourself down to to get to that point. It's yes. it, It's not where you need to be. Yeah. And I think one of the things that the research reveals that I think is just such a blessing and is such a beautiful gift is that what I was mentioning about this joy and sense of belonging and purpose really are sort of inherent to us. It's not like we have to go out and do all these courses or go visit these different places or meet with different people so much as it is about trying to get more back in touch with ourselves and get rid of a lot of that distraction and clutter and those expectations that you were referring to, which I think in some ways the journey might look fairly similar. It's we're trying to move forward and make some changes in how we see ourselves in the world. But to me, it feels different to have a sense that it's not out there and I need to find it. And how do I find it? And where's the secret key? But rather it's within me inherently. And now how do I just get back in touch with that and shed some of these other things? Well, and I think, you know, you make the point in your book about happiness. And so many times I'll ask people on a one on a scale of one to 10, rate your happiness with 10 being great. And so many times it doesn't hit the average. It doesn't hit the five. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me offer some context around that, because, again, the, the book that I've written, it was about 12 years of research and writing. There, there are thousands, literally, of economists and psychologists and cosmologists and poets that are in there. And there are some very consistent findings, which um, oftentimes do, do feel intuitively right to us. Sometimes the details are a little bit elusive, but one of those has to do with money and the way we relate to money and possessions and work and how all of that relates to happiness. In the United States specifically, and this isn't just true in the United States and true, it's true in all industrialized countries, but I'm most familiar with the statistics here in the US. Happiness in general in the United States as an average has been in a consistent decline since at least the 1940s, which is a very striking thing if you look at the state of things materially for most of us in the United States, in the 1940s, a third of homes didn't have indoor plumbing or indoor toilets, not to mention AC and heat. So many of the things that today we just wouldn't even go and look at a home or an apartment if it didn't have these very basic things. And people lived without those and yet were happier. It's like, materially, we live in an entirely different universe from those people. The number of gadgets and and the size of things that are available to us and the variety, and yet overall, we're actually less happy. 
it's a very telling statistic, along with some of the ones that I think people are more familiar with, which is sometimes we see little articles in the news about how people in Mexico or in you know, Peru are happier than Americans, even though they make a fraction of the money that most Americans make. And what the research reveals is that money does buy happiness, but only to a certain point. If you are not able to meet your very basic needs of just food and shelter and clothing and basic medical care, then more money definitely does buy more happiness because it buys us these essential things. But consistently, the research reveals that once you can meet your very basic needs, additional money makes almost no additional contribution to your happiness. And even for people who struggle to meet their basic needs, there are still other things that are more important than money to our happiness. So once you are able to meet your basic needs, absolutely there, there's almost no additional benefit to the additional money but meanwhile, so many of us in the pursuit of more money and possessions, and we can also talk about how that ends up happening for so many of us, but it actually means we end up less happy than we could be because we're shortchanging these other aspects of our lives that could really be nourishing us. Well, how do you think that money hook gets into us? And it gets into us pretty deep. Yeah, it does. There are really five general ways that that happens. And I, I just want to set up a sort of a contrast here. In the end, um, what economists and psychologists alike have agreed on is that money accounts for only about two to 4% of our happiness. And yet for most of us, it ends up taking up a lion's share of not only our time, but sort of how we experience ourselves and think of the world and, and, and think about the stuff that we do have and the blessings that are in our lives. If I were to summarize those five different ways that money hooks us, the most significant thing that they have in common is that it's usually about us trying to fill another kind of void in our lives. So if we are missing some of those things that really do nourish us, whether that's connection with other people or a sense of purpose, or what I mentioned at the very beginning about valuing ourselves really appreciating ourselves as worthy and valuable and beautiful and brilliant in so many ways. When we lack these things, we try and make up for it in other ways. We try to distract ourselves. We try to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, maybe by working more, by being a perfectionist, those kinds of things. Some of the, I, I think I could run through them pretty briefly, those five different areas. I mean, one of them uh, something that you've talked about on the show is really a sort of chemical level addiction that we can be created around like dopamine and just the rush of buying things. It's a very temporary rush. And unfortunately, all too often, it undermines our happiness overall in the end. But if we're feeling lonely or sad or fearful about something, it can be a pretty simple thing to want to turn to go and buy something, hop on the internet, stop by the store after work. The same as, as addictions to food and, and other kinds of things like um, drug and alcohol. It fills a void for us. Um, another, another aspect is a sort of inherent um, desire we have to outpace the people around us, if you will. It's that keeping up with the Joneses thing. Um, 
we there there, there was a, a beautiful study that highlights this where people were asked a number of questions but one example is if you could have an income of let's say sixty thousand dollars but everyone around you only makes thirty thousand or if you could have $120,000 a year, but everyone around you makes 300,000, which would you rather have? A lot of people would rather have less money as long as it's more than the people around them. And it speaks to this, this part of us that wants to stand out, that wants to be appreciated, and ultimately that wants to feel like we belong, that we feel safe and appreciated by the people around us. But this is another one of those things where the more that we are already inherently feeling good about ourselves, good about our lives, purposeful, that just doesn't get any purchase on us. It can't hook us. Um, the, the craving to buy additional things or outpace other people just drifts away. Um, there are cultural aspects. We in the United States live in hands down the most materialistic society that's ever existed. I mean, most humans for the 300,000 year history of Homo sapiens um, haven't had even just a fraction of what most Americans have today. And yet our expectations of what we need and want are still sky high. Anyway, I think that's, that's like four or three or four of the five, but you get the idea in every single one of those cases, what it winds itself back to is how happy are you in general and how happy are you with your life? And to the degree that other things are getting in there and making you feel uncertain, scared, fearful, not worthy, we have a really strong desire to find other ways to mask that for ourselves and for the people around us. And money and possessions and throwing ourselves into work is one of the major ways that we do that these days. Well, I think we're taught that's what we're supposed to do. And and that's the normal thing that you do. So for our listeners out there that, that when aren't happy, no, I'm not happy. Yes, I do need money too much. What words of wisdom do you have for them? Yeah, well, a number of things I would say. I, I am going to go ahead and just mention the book real quickly because I did spend 12 years on it and there is a lot in there. So I'm going to encourage everyone to whether you just get it at your library or you, you you buy a copy get the book and if you're not someone who reads through books just open it to random pages and see what's there and just see what doors it helps to open for you the other thing i would say and two of the top psychologists in positive psychology that is like the psychology of happiness they they gave this advice and it was it was really focused about our work lives but i think it's applicable across the board, which is that there are some of us, and in fact, probably all of us at different points in our lives, depending on what's going on, are ready and able to make really significant changes, like dramatic changes in our lives. But I think for most of us, that isn't true most of the time. And the kinds of changes that we want to focus on are incremental. And like you said, we've been deeply conditioned around how we live our lives, what our expectations should be about things. And that's not, for most of us, gonna just shift overnight, though it does for some people, especially in the context of um, like people who have close brushes with death, that is often a time when things really get shaken up, right? Um, and so 
I think the opportunity, honestly, more than anything is there are big things that we can do, but more importantly, what are the little things that you could just shift this week, this month, and then just reevaluate again in another couple months? It could be just asking yourself that question, just inviting the question of when you're thinking of buying something, do I really want this? Like, how am I really going to feel in two hours or tomorrow or next week if I spend this money on this? And hark back to that little statistic about, okay, I know that money only accounts for about two to 4% of happiness. Do I really want this and need this? And then what that allows is that sometimes the answer is going to still be yes. And we're going to go ahead with that, but it creates that habit of introspection. And to the degree that we start letting some of those things go, well, actually, no, I don't really need to spend that money on that coffee every morning, not to mention, you know, other topics on your show about caffeine and sugar and everything else that goes along with that. But as we start to release some of those things, then it becomes easier to just keep moving in that direction so that our lives overall become this journey of shedding things that aren't needed rather than feeling a pressure to make a dramatic change all at once. I do think that besides asking basic questions about how we're spending our money, there are those bigger and really important questions about how do you feel about yourself and how do you feel about your life? And we could talk more about what we might do about those, but I would also be encouraging people to just with some gentleness, but also a lot of love and some real commitment to you and to the people around you to just keep taking little steps in the direction of, of practices or habits or things that help you just feel a little bit better about your life and yourself and maybe some of the different hard things that have happened in your life that you haven't had a chance to process so much. Um, so that in a sense, over time, maybe you won't even have to be asking those other questions so much because it'll just come naturally that you aren't going to spend a lot of time and money on these things that don't nourish you because you're feeling nourished in your life in general. Well, you know, Jeff, you make such a good point, and that is it is the little things. Mother Teresa has always said, focus on the little things because it's there, is that's where your strength lies. And gratitude is something that I use personally, and I use it with my clients. And every night at the end of the day, what are three things that you're grateful for? And my advice is always, don't go looking for something really big because number one, you might not find it. But number two, it's the little things in life that make our day so much smoother, that puts that smile on our face, that makes us feel important to ourselves. So I do, I, I can't stress the importance of the little things enough. I love that. And, and I don't remember the exact number right now, but I love that you named gratitude specifically because there was even a study that quantified this and looked at people who did something like kept a gratitude journal, like what you were referring to, or another practice that I love is one where um, just occasionally, maybe, maybe it's once a week or once a month or even just once a year, you write a letter to someone, just sharing your gratitude to them for how they've touched your life. And these kinds of practices were found to enhance a person's well-being months after they did them far more than and I this is where I forget the exact statistic but it was something like triple the person's income and they wouldn't it wouldn't make as much of a difference over the longer term as some of these basic practices of just gratitude um 
one of the themes in a lot of the literature on positive psychology is about adaptation and the way that we adapt to our environments. And there are good and bad things about that. It's great that if something bad happens or we find ourselves in a hard situation, that we can adapt to that and still find our way to be happy and um, stable and safe. But the disadvantage is that it does mean that, for example, no matter how much money someone has, if you ask them on average, how much money do you think you need to really be happy and secure? No matter how much money they have, people always say more than they have. And it's sometimes as much as twice or three times what they have. You go back and ask them the same question five years later, even if they've now got that amount of money and it's still two or three times what it was. And that's true for millionaires as well as it is for people who are making you know, $10,000 or less. Well, what do, you, what do you think is the driver? Do you think it's fear? Fear that they're going to lose their money? Because, you know, we do have an, a relationship with our money. Yes. Yeah, we do. I think that, I mean, it does come back to those five factors that I referred to earlier in terms of even though money does not generally contribute to our well-being, it is a powerful hook in terms of being a substitute and something we can turn to to try and feel a little more stability or safety or reassurance or just to distract ourselves. Um, you know, when you look at the things that do contribute to our well-being and happiness overall, there are a couple that have to do with the lives around us. And one of those I think I mentioned earlier about like relationships. If you wanted to try and guess how happy someone is and all you could do was just sort of observe them from the outside, the, some of the factual things about their life, the amount of time that they spend with friends and family and the quality of those relationships is one of the strongest predictors of how happy a person is. I know you mentioned on the show sleep is a very important one as well as just physical exercise and physical well-being. And even more powerful than those though are factors that we might call um, sort of internal. That is to say, not the outer world, but our inner world. And some of those are the things that are a little bit more resistant to adaptation. Things like gratitude. Um, Sonia Lubomirsky, who's uh, one of the foremost scholars in this area, talks about gratitude as really being about sort of like an antidote to adaptation. It's about saying, hey, I have this natural inclination to just get used to everything around me, but what would it look like and what would it feel like if I took some time every day or every week to just notice and appreciate and just sit and be still and be so immensely grateful for the things we have? And it, it oftentimes will be things that are physical or material, but we might actually get to a place where we're like, wow, my breath, movement, light, color, it's just the fact that I have shelter, those kinds of things that are always here and present, and yet we can often lose sight of those. So gratitude is one of those internal factors. Uh, two others that I think are important to mention. One is the way we relate to our emotions. And again, in, in this society, for a lot of us, there's pressure to contain our emotions. For example, stop crying, don't cry, that's unseemly, or, or what is crying going to do for you? And well, in fact, there's a reason that these emotions have evolved so deeply within us and they do really positive, powerful things within us. And research shows that as we might expect, people tend to be happier when they're experiencing what we think of as positive emotions. 
But the happiest people overall are the ones who are also okay with and let themselves feel a range of emotions, including ones we might think of as negative, like sadness or feeling a little insecure, um, feeling a little lonely, not just rushing out and trying to either suppress that or distract ourselves, but letting ourselves be with that a little bit is one of the ways to actually live the healthiest. In a sense, it's part of that journey of being in ourselves and our highest purpose. Like, how are we called to live? What are we called to do? These are essential parts of our being. And there's a lot of wisdom in them for us, in our mind's wisdom, ways we can make sense of the world when we let ourselves feel these things. And a lot of wisdom in our bodies. Our bodies have a lot of really positive responses when we allow ourselves to cry or slow down or just be alone for a little bit all of those kinds of things. And then I feel like I'm just throwing a lot at you, but the, the one other one I wanted to mention again is our relationship with ourselves. Most of us over the course of our lives have internalized a lot of negative messages about ourselves. And that might be things that were actually said to us by parents or other kids. Maybe it's just the media, but it's things about the way we think we should look, things about the way we think we should behave, what it is to be normal and none of us fit that bill in all the different ways and most of us have internalized some pretty negative things about ourselves we we might talk really negatively to ourselves be really judgmental and that just only naturally no matter what's going on in our lives is like a burden it's this weight and the reverse is true as well is that to the degree that we whether it's therapy or journaling or just talking about it with friends, but when we make space to open some of those up and heal them a little bit and, and welcome those parts of ourselves back, we expand our ability to just be joyful in almost any circumstance. And I don't mean something awful happened, you should be joyful, but I mean that overall, there will be a lot more joy helping to lift us no matter what the circumstances of our lives. Well, I think, you know, it's so hard to just stay present. Just, as you said, sit with it, be with yourself, stay present in the moment. We're always worried about tomorrow. Or we replay some conversation we had two weeks ago that didn't go our way. And if we can just stay present in the moment, I know that that, I find that to, to really calm me down. We've got about four minutes left in the show, and I think there's there's a hundred questions I could ask you easily. But what I'd like to do is let's just circle back and to what we were t- touching on in the beginning of of the conversation, and and that is the importance of appreciating yourself. I'm I'm struck by that, and I'm struck by the fact that we only have four minutes, so that uh, through me, I'm like, okay, well, what, what do we want to share in the final four minutes? I think that there's a, a, a famous mystic poet from centuries ago, Persian, uh, name of Rumi. Sometimes you see quotes from him on the internet or on posters and such, and what he said was that, he said, do not seek for love. Instead, seek within yourself the barriers that you have created between you and love. It again speaks to me of what we talked about at the beginning and that 
we are inherently wondrous beings. I mean, the fact that we exist, the things that we accomplish, I think that it is just objectively true that every one of us is beautiful and brilliant and worthy of love and belonging and connection. And so that being true, I think that the journey forward is one of, well, what are the barriers for me in my life? And how do I not worry about overnight just shedding maybe some negative self-image that I have or some of the negativity of the people around me, but what you were emphasizing about the importance of just little steps, maybe each person out there listening could commit to, for now, just one little thing that you could make space for in your life that would help you experience a little more, like you said, Lee, presence or gratitude, or that would allow you to maybe open up some of those places that you've really kept locked away and maybe carry a bit of a burden for you of shame or feeling bad about those. Maybe it's as simple as um, you're making sure that you listen to this podcast periodically, you know, or like I said, you crack open my book once in a while and just read a few pages and see what's there. Maybe it's that gratitude journal. I think if everyone out there just picked one thing that sounds like that could bring just a little ease to my day or to my week and maybe help me move in that direction of appreciating myself and my life more, there's just so much wonder and joy that's out there waiting for each one of us. And it doesn't mean that we're going to always be happy or that that's even something we should strive for. But to the degree that there are barriers between us and that love and sense of belonging and purpose that just don't need to be there, then taking little steps forward, it adds up over time. And who knows where you find yourself a year from now or five years from now and what your life can look like. I just say, please open the doors to possibility and just try and keep that open and just keep moving forward a little bit at a time and see what happens for you. Well, those are such great words to end on, Jeff. Thank you so much for being my guest. I encourage everybody to visit the website reclaimingthesacred.net. Reclaimingthesacred.net. Again, Jeff, thanks for your, your time, your words of wisdom. And I encourage all of our listeners to just reflect, reflect on the words that you shared with us. Thank you so much, Lee. It's a pleasure. And I do. I wish everyone out there all the best. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Thank you.